Hello and welcome. You are listening to the CND Clinical Podcast. This is the first of the series of podcasts which we will be focusing on several clinical issues that has concern to pharmacists. On this month's issue, we are dealing with mental health. Now, February is the mental health month, so we took the time to focus on this and to try and get perspective of what it's like as a pharmacist dealing with your own mental health and how to deal with patients mental health to help us talk and to discuss this earlier on i caught up with an old schoolmate of mine someone who is making really big strides making huge differences in the world of mental health as a pharmacist now shabir malik works as a cbt pharmacist and also is an author and has released several books to do with mindfulness and how to get yourself centered as a person and how to come up with tools to deal with your own mental health. I really hope you enjoy this conversation because we did. Hello everyone. Hello Nana. Thank you for having me on the show. Yes, yeah, so my name is Shabir Melik. I am a pharmacist and I've just passed my independent prescribing and I've been working as a pharmacist for about I think nine to ten years now without giving out my age. Okay, so Shabir and I do actually go way back. And I know, Shabir, you've done a lot of work around mental health. The podcast we're doing this month is about mental health. That's why I wanted to have you on here because you've been doing lots of things on mental health. So could you just want to give us a little bit of history and a background of what you've done so far when it comes to using your career as a pharmacist to support mental health issues? Okay, I thought the first question was going to be give a history of our friendship. I'm like, well, oh, it goes back to 2000. No one cares about that. <laughs> I do, brother. I do. <laughs> okay, so I've got into mental health about three, four years ago. And the way I got into mental health was uh, it was a personal journey for me. So not to start off too heavy, but at the end of sort of 2018, one of my best friends passed away and then about two weeks later I was in a car accident and that whole ordeal was quite it you know it took a lot out of me so it knocked me for six and I was bedridden for six months I had bad back injury I was off work and during that time I had a lot of time to think and where I have a quite a relentless attitude towards working there's so much Netflix I could watch. So I started to do a CBT course, like cognitive behavioral therapy, just to find out who I was and just to find out techniques that could possibly help me. And then from there, once I had done my diploma, a lot of the things I was using for myself, which really helped me, I started to use with my patients when I re-entered the work of pharmacy. And that spawned Fitra Designs. So that was the company that I started initiating, started working with. And our aim was to break the stigma and taboos surrounding mental health. Because I knew even as a pharmacist, where we deal a lot with physical health, mental health is always there in the background, but there was still a lot of stigma. Even for myself as a healthcare professional, when I was going through it, who do I go to? Where do I go? Who do I seek help from? And I wanted to create an environment where it was easy for people to access services and help when they needed to. So that's where the background for mental health comes from. I'm glad you mentioned um, stigma because, yeah, you're right. As pharmacists, even though the profession does teach us about 
ignoring these stigmas. We do all fall into it. So this is one thing that I was actually trying to pick up with you really, because I remember when I was back in practice, patients that come in with mental health medication was like, you're trying to not do those medication reviews because you don't know where it's going to go. But I found that the more open we were talking about it and the more people were open talking about it, the easier it was for myself to talk to my patients about it. So what are some of the stigmas that you think we deal with as pharmacists when it comes to mental health? So where you're talking about stigma just in general, specifically to pharmacists as well, we've created a culture where it's, it's built on shame and guilt. So if anyone is going through something, whether you're a professional in the field or just a person who's not in the field and are having some mental health issues, you have this guilty feeling like, why is it happening to me? If I do seek help, let's just say it's an open culture and I do seek help, I'm still going to be met with names and I'm going to be thought of as weak or I'm not able to control my environment. And it could give rise to too. So that could subsequently rise to discrimination where you have a negative viewpoint on a particular subject area. So in this case, it'll be mental health. And then people can get shunned away and not get the help that they need. And we have a very non-inviting lexion when we speak as well. We say... People use it in front of me where they go, oh, yeah, I feel a bit OCD today or he's off his nutter. And we're using these words very frivolously, not knowing that we're using it at a superficial level. But talk to someone who's actually depressed and look at the words that they use. They use words like darkness. I'm going through depression. You know, it's very heartfelt. And we just willingly just use these words like they're very casual. We also have things like we say, oh, a person is struggling with mental health. A person could not be struggling with mental health. They may be living okay. They could have the right environment as well as they could be having medicine, for example, as well as non-pharmacological techniques and be thriving. doesn't mean that they are actually going through struggle. So I think if we can change this culture of this taboo of that someone is weak in regards to mental health, as you experienced in, in your background as well, the more inviting we, and the more accepting we are with these types of conversations and just the more we talk about it. I think I had a pharmacist friend who asked me, how do I talk to mental health patients? And my answer was very simple. Just talk to them like every other patient. We're all human and we all have off days, good days and bad days. So wherever that person is going through at that time, you can be very comfortable talking to them like how you talk to your other patients. Yeah. I think if we can break that taboo and have that open environment, I think it will help a lot of people. I'm glad you brought up the um, lexicon of the language that we use because just as we've been talking, we've been saying mental health. I said that is the issue. But if you think about the truth is we all have mental health. I mean, if we didn't, we wouldn't be human. It's very true because it's not a binary state. So you're not like, healthy and then unhealthy so we can look at it as a continuum i think the actual who definition uh, somewhat paraphrasing now is where we are able to understand our abilities face life stresses work productively fruitfully and this is a really important one is also give back to the community community is really important because even when we're born into family that is our first unit to, that is our first structural unit obviously some people don't have easy family lives and that's fine but community is really important. And as you mentioned, and I think as you're going to mention, that mental health can be thought of as a continuum. So where on one side of the spectrum, you have really good mental health 
And on the other side of the spectrum, you'll have a person in crisis and anyone can fluctuate throughout that within between, their lifetime. Between, so it can be broken down into segments. So you have thriving, which is really good mental health. Then you have surviving, struggling, and then someone in crisis. And depending on if it's bereavement, if it's financial issues, depending on what conditions and what pressures are laid upon you at that time, we all could fluctuate through that. So uh, that's a really good point because we all have mental health. And I suppose there is a distinction between mental health and then having mental illness, which yeah. might need to be treated with medicine or non-pharmacological treatment. And that also brings me to another point that I wanted to raise with you, because in practice, we find patients that are suffering from depression, anxiety, go to their GP and get given medication as treatment. I used to find this a lot. And then they would come in and you do a review or you speak to them about the medication. You'd find that they've actually suffered trauma. In your experience, do you think our approach to dealing with these kind of mental health with medicating them? is the right approach or is there something else that we can do instead of just going straight to the medication first? I think that used to be the case. It still may be the case in with some GP practices, but I think it is changing. I think with the advent of COVID-19 now, how everything was heightened and a lot of these services like GPs, they weren't accessible. So people do remote consultations and people were trying to seek other services, especially for mental health. And I think where medicine is always going to be there, and let's just let's knock medicine because allopathic medicine is really good. That's the field that you and I are both in. So we, exactly. you know, we, yeah, we, we do support. Yeah, we do support yeah. medicine. Yeah. However, if you look at an individual, you need bespoke treatment for every patient because one thing is not going to be tailored for everyone. My background lies in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. I know there's other psychosciences out there. You mentioned trauma. Now, trauma could be from a young age or it could be something recent. A lot of the psychologies and the studies out there, they do study the person. They unearth the person's trauma from a younger age. If there's trauma that's been held from when they were one or two years old or so on and so forth. Where CBT is, which is the only recognized national psychotherapy from the NHS, is dealing with the here and now. So if you do have trauma, okay, we can come to that. We can come to the source of the trauma, but at least get the patient to a neutral state where they're able to handle their thoughts, emotions, and behavior. And I think as we do progress and as pharmacies become a lot more clinical, our knowledge is getting broader, not just about anxiolytics or antidepressants and the medicinal side of things, but we are getting a bit more skilled at counseling as well as signposting people to the right help that they need. You mentioned the bespoke approach when it comes to dealing with these issues because as pharmacists were trained in disease and treatment and in most conditions that we will deal with, if your blood pressure is at this level, this is the treatment you have for it. Or if your mm-hmm. diabetes, your sugar level is here, this is what you get. Whereas when it comes to patients dealing with mental health, you can't have that same approach. So it's not a case of this is what you do for this. It's a more of a personal treatment that we have to develop with the patient. You have to, yeah. I suppose working as a pharmacist, moving on to clinical pharmacy, we always have nice guidelines. 
that tell you, okay, this is the top-down approach. You have first-line medicine, second-line medicine. And I think we can take from that because if something does work for a general population, then yeah, when it comes to giving advice and how to give advice, it's really good. So we can use that as the base level. But yeah, you are correct. When you're dealing with a human being and you're dealing with layers of emotion, layers of experience and different backgrounds and how people deal with things, different issues as well, you have to have a tailored approach. And that doesn't mean you being the therapist yourself. Just by using the key skill of listening, you'd realize in my background, what I've realized is when I talk to a lot of patients and they come to me for advice, just by listening, a lot of their solutions are already in their answers, but they're saying it in a way they're quite worried when they're explaining the situation to you. So they're not able to identify some of the solutions that they are also talking about. So just by using a key score like listening, I think we can help just ease the burden some people may hold about mental health and the issues that they're facing. So I think that would be the first approach to doing it. And yeah, you, we have to get upskilled in mental health by knowing not just the medicinal side, but just by knowing different theories of how mental health comes about, as well as some form of treatment. And if you don't know, not a problem. As long as you know where to signpost people, I think that would be the best thing to move forward with collectively. We've talked a lot about pharmacists upscaling and learning more. From your experience, I was just wondering if you could just share with some of the community pharmacists that haven't had to go through, like what kind of things can you do to improve your knowledge or to improve how you're supposed to deal with these things? Where are the places you go to learn more? As pharmacists, we always do CPDs. So one place which is really good is CPPE. They have a really good resource on mental health and the signs and symptoms to look out for, but it's generally the NHS website as well. And it also depends what the person is trying to achieve. For example, if a pharmacist is trying to learn more about the medicinal side, there's, you know, there's a BNF and there's nice guidelines. But if you want to know a bit more about how to deal with humans and the human aspect of it, you have to realize that the field that you're in is like a few pharmacists who graduated with us, really intelligent pharmacists, got first class honors, really, really good. But when it came to community pharmacy, they were in deep waters because they didn't have the social skills to deal with the human element. And it's about stripping all the knowledge and all the status that one may think they have and just deal with someone on a human level. Uh, resources are mind.org.uk is a really good website to seek knowledge from. They break down information in not layman's terms, but very simple terms to understand. They use a lot of analogies. Rethink is also a really, really good website. And I think from there, once you know a bit more about people's experiences, because I think as pharmacists, we know a lot about medicine. When it comes to dealing with the human aspect, I think just by watching videos and going on these websites and listening to people's past experiences will help us to give us a broader perspective on how to actually deal with the human element. I think that would be a really good way to tackle those things. Thank you very much. And we will have links to these sites below the podcast if you're interested. I do also have to mention when it comes to CPD, CND does do a really good CPD. And <laughs> you can't come there to some more. I, I was gonna I was gonna mention chemists and dragons. I was just taking a sip of water. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just wanted to move on to another part of the segment. So we've talked a lot about how pharmacists interact with patients and how we're supposed to deal with patients. What are some of the things that you think you should look out for within yourself and within colleagues to spot when things are not going as well as they should be? I can speak from a community pharmacy background because that's my main sort of bread and butter. But I've worked with isolocums. I've worked with many people. Some dispensaries you go to are really well kept, very organized, and some dispensers are amazing. I love working with dispensers who know their stuff and they're on the same wavelength as you and you have the same goal throughout the day. Now, what I would say, pharmacy is very hectic. It's not where people think that you're just putting labels on boxes. It's not. If you go into a pharmacy, as you rightfully know, you're doing a multitude of things and a variety of things come at the same time. You've got four or five flu injections to do. You're, you're checking medication. You have four or five people asking for advice. You've got a lady or a man who wants to use a consultation to show you something. And then you've got the phone ringing and then you've got people returning medicine. And then you've got other people coming to your counter to buy shampoo. And it's a, a, it's a multitude of things. Now, as humans, it's difficult to multitask. And I found when I used to work in community pharmacy, I used to get overwhelmed so much because there's so much background noise. For me, the technique of mindfulness was very good because it's a moment-to-moment awareness of your thoughts, your behaviours, your emotions, and your surroundings. You know, you do that with, with no judgment. The non-judgmental part is very important because we have to come to a place where we can create an attitude of contentment where our minds always wander. So we have to be at peace with that. Now, where you're working in an environment with other people, you'll get to know them. You're spending 10 to 12 hours a day with them. You probably spend more time with them than you do with your own family. So it's about looking at patterns. If you see someone who is probably unkept, unwell, if they're talking about doom and gloom, if they all of a sudden they are a bit more erratic or a bit more emotional and they can't finish their sentences, all of these things doesn't mean that someone has mental health issues, but they could be going through a rough time. So just by asking them how they are, if there's anything that you can do to help, possibly signposting them. You have to look at everyone expresses, I think it's called the love language. Everyone has different ways of expressing themselves. So some people like to not talk too much. Some people like to listen. Some people like to just read books and self-help, for example. So I would say be very delicate and tiptoe when approaching people. Because it is personal issues, some people might not like to share. But if you see that in your colleagues, go to your human resources or speak to them on a on a private level. Where it comes to yourself, I know I've worked in many busier pharmacies, and where you think if you can get one job done quickly, you can jump onto the next. But what happens? You just get thrown into the deep end, and another job comes, and then you're in the cycle where you're doing so much, and then you're just running on adrenaline and cortisol. And it's only when you finish that day and you go home and you're sleeping in your bed, you're like, oh, and this body pain, and that body pain, <laughs> my legs. And, so, and sometimes I'm like, I haven't even been gym and I feel kind of, kind of you know, kind of sore. <laughs> but it's, it's, that, it's, it's knowing your limits. So mm. I would say know the signs of stress, right? Yeah. Know the feeling that happens in the body. Know when things are heightened. See how you feel. Are you hydrated? Are you drinking enough water? And I know these things seem like simple things, but they work a charm just by having enough sleep. I think the NHS was pushing the five stages of well-being, which is to 
uh, connect with people, is to be active, so to do exercise, is to take notice, which is things like mindfulness and be aware of your surroundings, is to learn, so to occupy the mind, not just studying hard pharmacy books, but to read other literature so your mind's expanding. And again, is to give back. And that comes what, what we were saying earlier, is to form a community. And where you're in a pharmacy, that is your bubble, that is your family. You have your dispensers, you have your pharmacists, you have your managers. And in that small community, what I would normally do when I was working in a dispensary, as soon as the, the day would start, I would gather everyone, have a small pep talk. Some people have had a hard morning. Some people may have had a really good morning. And I try to equalize the energy that's there. I understand the vibe that everyone's given. Now, have a pep talk saying, look, we're all in this together. We're going to, we want to achieve this and then delegate the tasks. Whereas I think some pharmacists, they just have a, they, they, they roll with it, but they also have, cause it's their babies, you know, it's their environment. They're like the person in charge. They're responsible. So they have this underlying, not of control, but they want to be involved in everything. And I suppose as a pharmacist, you do, yeah. but it's, you have to trust your staff and everyone is intelligent and they have the right credentials. So to delegate work and then to get on with what you're getting on with. I think will be a really good way of ensuring that you don't have burnout. Burnout is a, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that can really sap you of your energy and make you go down a spiral of what ifs and worst case scenarios and start thinking the thinking the worst. I, I think you're are you right because the community pharmacy is very easy for you to enter that rabbit hole where you're used to doing this number of things and then something happens and then to do twice that number of things all at once with the same number of teams and it's very easy for us to go into that mentality of you're right responsibility where we feel like everything is our fault forgiving yourself for that you have to be kind on yourself so another technique i would say is get in tune with your internal dialogue we all have this self-talk and what happens when something goes wrong we always have these knee-jerk reactions saying i'm not good enough i you start doubting yourself and the worst feeling in pharmacy, whether it's community or any other aspect of pharmacy, is when you're presented with a mistake. Mistake. Oh my God. <laughs> and then your mind just goes, you know, it just goes back. Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah. And, and it might not, it, and hopefully nothing happens to the patient. There are times where the patient could be injured and you might have a lawsuit. Even the non-bad ones, when it's just an error, even the ones that get picked up before they go out, it's very no. easy. It's even, very yeah. So, even those name miss errors, you know, when you yes. do your writing on the wall, yeah. you're writing yeah. on the name error sheet, even well, that, your heart Make me do that. Yeah. <laughs> your heart, your heart sinks. And I would say, look, do everything you can to prevent those situations. Again, we're humans, mistakes happen. It's not anyone's fault. It's not, in an, it's not intentional. But again, you're, if you're working in an environment where you are feeling overwhelmed, then those mistakes because you're not functioning at your optimum and things the medicine boxes look very similar names look very similar and it just takes that one slip up yeah. for, for for something to happen which is it's a worse feeling than actually going through stress itself because that just brings a whole new level of stress i always found if my staff made a mistake and i caught it i was always very forgiven to be like okay yeah we've been very busy this is why this might have happened and just be like okay go fix it but if it goes past me, 
Like once the mistake goes past me and it comes back and it's less of a mistake, I'm a lot harsher on myself. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I suppose to a degree, you have to hold yourself accountable. Not just in pharmacy, just in everything that you do in life. And I suppose, but it has to be a middle ground. Uh, my way of looking at things is staying in the middle. So I try to approach certain situations, whether it's a new business venture or meeting in between fear and hope. I don't know what the future is going to bring. We don't thrive on uncertainty. So where I have fear, if I get lost in that, then, you know, that can lead to doom and gloom and, and what is worst case scenarios and what's, what's going to happen in the future. And, and it's not a nice situation. I also try not to go in too much of hope because if I keep on hoping, oh, this is going to happen, that's going to happen, then I can become complacent. Yeah. So I try to keep myself in between where every day I know, okay, look, I'm fearful of the future, but I'm also hopeful of the future. And I try to keep myself in between there by not being pulled to either side. And I think for me, that really works. Another thing which I do, as for my tradition, I would pray sort of five times a day and I would break my days in between my prayers. So again, one doesn't have to be religious or one doesn't have to be going through like spiritual nirvana, anything like that. But the sentiment here would be just breaking your days down into certain things. So you could also say, okay, from nine to 11, before I take my 15 minute break, you get a 15 minute break that is. That could be one segment of the day. And then from 11 to 1, that could be a second segment. And from after lunch, that can be a third segment. I used to do that in between my prayers. And what I would do, if I've had a very tough morning and I wasn't happy, rather than being harsh on myself, I'll say, okay, I will conclude as to what's happened. And then I'll try to fix those minor errors that I thought I had made and try to continue not doing them within the second segment. Yeah. And if I did repeat it, do that in the third. So... The key would be just try to understand my behavior and correct those things and remedy those things going forward. I think as humans, that's how one would grow in pharmacy and outside the world of pharmacy as well. Yeah. It's strange because when you're in that bubble, especially in community pharmacy, that is your world. That is your world. So you would say it would be very important for pharmacists to actually consciously take breaks in the working day. You have to look, yeah, I, I look at it, look, Look like this, right? No matter how, if you like your Apple phone or your Samsung and all these new techno technological advances, there's nothing better designed than a human. Nothing. And there will never be anything better designed than a human. Unless if you believe in aliens and all, that's a different podcast. <laughs> but what I'm saying, if you look at the human and if you look at our, our silhouette and our being, this vehicle that we're in, we naturally have to sleep. Six hours, four hours, eight hours, whatever your body needs. But that's a genuine requirement. And if you don't, if you don't sleep, people become, you know, they become, they suffer from insomnia. And studies have shown that your body doesn't function after a certain amount of hours. But if you just take that, which happens every day, that is your body needing a break from everything that's happening around the world. So just take that small analogy and just put that into your pharmacy. When you're working, you need to take small breaks. There were, there were times where it was so busy at certain pharmacies and pharmacies do get busy, especially in their Christmas time or Easter time, especially when there's holiday, uh, everyone's rushing in. And what I would do is when there's a surplus amount of information coming my way, or if I have to check certain prescriptions, yeah. even for a minute, I would just take a mental rest. Yeah. If that means looking away, 
going to the corner of the pharmacy, me listening to some music, or just to get away from the current situation. It's just so your brain knows that there's a distinction. Yeah. Even when I used to study, this goes to any pharmacy students who are studying as well, try not to study on the bed because that soft environment will, it will, you will engage different aspects of your mind where you want to relax. So what, one thing that I would do, I would always train my body to know the different surfaces and points of contact. So if I'm studying, it'll be on a, it'll be on a table, on a chair. So I, I know that this rigid material or hardship that I'm feeling at the moment is for my time to just concentrate and study. Then when I'm sitting on a bed, I'm relaxed. And I'm Lay your bed, do what the bed is supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. Be comfortable so one can relax. Yeah. And where you look at the pharmacy itself is very clinical. Everything you buy, depending on what colors you have as your aesthetic, it can seem everything's the same. So just creating different spaces where you have a clean environment. One thing I would say, it's spend money on stationery and let's keep it at the stationery, please. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, who is, who likes to travel with pens and scissors, if you borrow them, put don't, them back. Don't mess with the pharmacists and their pens, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, you know what it is? It's like three, four stations mm. and it's really, really busy. And you're at your station and you want to cut the, you know, the pill box. Yeah, oh. another point would be that we sometimes, when you've been doing fine, especially community and other, we've been doing it for a while. We forget how mentally tasking that is because we literally have to concentrate for a long period of time. And I think it's very important that you mentioned the breaks because I found myself in practice. If, if we, if I was in a pharmacy, which was just nonstop, where you're just checking nonstop at the end of the day, like you said, I'm physically tired. Yeah. And even Absolutely. though I might not have done any physical tasks, actually physically tired. And I think we forget your brain uses so much more. It's, it's very powerful. You know, there's something known as neuroplasticity. So it builds connections. It's always looking for connections. It's this amazing meshwork of electricity and thoughts and synaptic responses. It's always looking to build connection. So whatever your likes and dislikes are as your work, your brain picks up on those things. Yeah. And so when you do feel tired and mentally drained, one can become complacent. Like I've driven places and sometimes I get to my destination, I'm thinking, oh, hold on a minute. How did, how did I get here? Because I'm so used to the roads. I'm so used yeah. to that drive. So f for me, I would always say, have the beginner's mind. Whenever you approach something, always have the beginner's mind. If you go down a driving school, if you see a new driver, how did they look? They got their two hands on the wheel, they're alert. But what is that? People might think, oh, look, he's learning to drive. But that beginner's mind is the best mind you can have because you're totally aware. You're totally alert. And that's, in essence, what you want to do in anything, in anything in life, especially in pharmacy. Approach every situation with that. And when you do take those mental breaks, you are constantly aware. A lot of the times when mistakes do happen and people are, you know, these mistakes are overlooked. When you do interview the pharmacist or anyone, what happened though, the names look very similar, or I thought that patient was because our minds are not alive. And they are alive, but it's not that beginner's mind. You have to be all the time. And the only way you can do that is by taking So I'm going to give you the opportunity to just talk to us about the company you're working for now and yeah. some of the books that you've read now and how we can get a hold of them and what we yeah. can do with those um, literatures. 
Yeah, okay. So my company is called Fitter Design. I'm not sure if I mentioned it, but Fitter in Arabic means your natural disposition. So when you look at a child, they're this magical world where everything is marvelous and they're very, very happy. Now, I think as we get older, we become a bit cynical and it's about understanding happiness and joy and expectation. Expectation is really key. So some of the books I've written is how we can get back to that internal disposition and that happy state. So I've written a few self-help books. They have gained industrial recognition. I've got them published. And it's been a whirlwind. It's been a really nice few years. I've learned a lot about myself and where I'm in a position now. So if you go to fitterdesigns.com, the books will be available there. I'll put the links on after this podcast. They're also in Waterstones. But we also do a lot of work in school. So I've written a few lesson plans and a whole program for schools to teach this material, to ask how to build resilience, uh, what to look out for mental health and well-being. And currently I'm writing a program for GP practices where we're looking to roll that out, hopefully, with the CCG and make it into a service. And this would be for someone who is initially diagnosed with anxiety or depression and they may have to wait a month before they get transferred to the IAP team. It's just at that initial month, that delicate period, if they can access my books, which is very uh, CBT based. So we're working on a, a few things like that. We do a lot of community talks and webinars as well. Going forward, that's what I would like to do is do more pharmacy teaching with that. Go to pharmacy schools, Medway School of Pharmacy, if you're listening, we're ex-students, you know, hit us up. Uh, yeah, so just education is the key. And my books are, are available. They're very simplistic books. You don't have to be a scientist to, to kind of understand them. And it's essentially growing and learning from there. But yeah, it will be fitradesigns.com. And again, if you search my name, Fitra Designs, on all social media, I'll come up. Or if you just Google my name, Shabir Malik. Uh, I'll come up on some of the search engines. And he probably didn't add this, but I'm going to add it for him. So Shabir really talks about being proactive when it comes to your mental health. So don't wait until you need the books. I've read the books myself. And I think if you can read them when you can, anytime during the day, I think it's best for you to use them before you get to the stage where you need them. Thank you, Nana, for that. I will just add to that. Look, it's about building a mental toolbox, right? So Abraham Maslow once said that if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And that's it because where we have this over-reliance of something which is familiar. But if you only have one coping mechanism and that's of a negative one, it's not going to get you far. So it's about developing skill sets and as many different techniques you can learn. The way I break it down in the books is very pharmacy-based. So just to give you an example, a lot of my techniques, I talk about preventers and relievers. Similar to how, you know, asthma medicines are kind of given out. Preventers are things, are techniques that you do every day to make sure that you stay away from the stressful situations or you're able to handle the stressful situations. Don't worry, you're human. Then you have the relievers to relieve you at the time of that stressful situation. And it's all about getting to understand your thoughts so you can break the negative cycle and get away from this cascade of impulsive behaviors, which is actually rooted in maladaptive thinking. Yes, so that was the interview that I did with Shabir. It was lovely speaking to Shabir again. And as you would have heard, he's got a vast array of knowledge on how to 
deal with his own mental health and how you can help patients and other people deal with this. Like should be mentioned, he does have a book going, which the blurb will be below. If you do want to get yourself that, that is good. And I am really looking forward to see what Shibia does in the future and hoping that we can have him back on the show at some point. Well, thank you listeners for spending this time with us. We really do appreciate it. Do remember to listen to the second part of this mental health episode where we speak to Melissa Cochran from the Pharmacy Support Charity. Melissa has some wonderful things to tell you about how you can get support with your own mental health as a pharmacist. And until then, thank you, take care, and see you later.